Chapter 7 of Perfect Behavior, A Guide for Ladies and Gentlemen in All Social Crises. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Perfect Behavior, A Guide for Ladies and Gentlemen in All Social Crises by Donald Ogden Stewart. Chapter 7 The Etiquette of Games and Sports golf as a pastime golf from an old scottish word meaning golf is becoming increasingly popular in the united states and almost every city now has at least one private club devoted to the pursuit of this stylish pastime indeed in many of our larger metropolises the popular enthusiasm has reached such heights that free public courses have been provided for the citizens with i may say somewhat laughable results as witness the fact that i myself have often seen persons playing on these public courses in ordinary shirts and trousers tennis shoes and suspenders the influence of this democratization on the etiquette of what was once an exclusive sport has been in many instances deplorable and i am sure that our golf-playing forefathers would turn over in their graves were they to play around to-day on one of the public courses in no pastime are the customs and unwritten laws more clearly defined and it is essential that the young lady or gentleman of fashion who contemplates an afternoon on the links devote considerable time and attention to the various niceties of the etiquette of this ancient and honourable game a young man for example when playing with his employer should always take pains to let his employer win this is sometimes extremely difficult but with practice even the most stubborn of obstacles can be overcome on the first tee for instance after the employer having swung and missed the ball completely one or two times has managed to drive a distance of some forty-nine yards to the extreme right the young man should take care to miss the ball completely three times and then drive forty-eight yards to the extreme left this is generally done by closing the eyes tightly and rising up sharply on both toes just before hitting the ball on the greens it is customary for a young man to concede his employer every putt which is within twenty feet of the hole if the employer insists on putting editor's note he won't and misses the young man should take care to miss his own putt after both have holed out the young man should ask how many strokes sir the employer will reply let me see i think i took seven for this hole didn't i a well-bred young man will not under any circumstances remind his employer that he saw him use at least three strokes for the drive three strokes for his second shot four strokes in the rough seven strokes in the bunker and three putts on the green but will at once reply no sir i think you only took six altogether the employer will then say well well call it six I generally get five on this hole what did you take the young man should then laugh cheerily and reply oh i took my customary seven to which the employer will sympathetically say too bad after the employer has thus won his first three holes he will begin to offer the young man advice on how to improve his game this is perhaps the most trying part of the afternoon's sport but a young man of correct breeding and good taste will always remember the respect due an older man and will not make the vulgar error of telling his employer for god's sake shut up before he gets a brassy in his ear 
a wife playing with her husband should do everything in her power to make the game enjoyable for the latter she should encourage him when possible with little cheering proverbs such as if at first you don't succeed try try again and she should aid him with her advice when she thinks he is in need of it thus when he drives into the sycamore tree on number eleven she should say don't you think dear that if you aimed a little bit more to the right etc when they come to number fourteen and his second shot lands in the middle of the lake she should remark perhaps you didn't hit it hard enough dear and when on the eighteenth his approach goes through the second story window of the clubhouse she should say dear i wonder if you didn't hit that too hard such a wife is a true helpmate and not merely a pretty ornament on which a silly husband can hang expensive clothes and if he is the right sort of man he will appreciate this and refrain from striking her with a niblick after this last remark a young wife who does not play the game herself can nevertheless be of great help to her husband by listening patiently night after night while he tells her how he drove the green on number three and took a four on number eight par five and came up to the fourteenth one under fours caddies should be treated at all times with the respect and pity due one's fellow-creatures who are unfortunate the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children and one should always remember that it is not after all the poor caddy's fault that he was born blind an afternoon at the old farm with the dice craps is a game played with dice which is often popular in the men's coat and smoking rooms before and during formal receptions balls recitals etc it should not be imagined however that craps is a sport for men only on the contrary smart women are enthusiastically taking up this sport in numerous localities and many an affair which started as a dinner party or a musicale has ended in a crap game with all the guests seated in an excited circle on the floor contributing to the host's effort to make expenses for the evening it is in connection with these mixed games however that most of the serious questions of crap's etiquette arise if for example you are a young man desirous of shooting craps with your grandmother the correct way of indicating your desire when you meet the old lady in a public place is for you to remove your hat differentially and say shoot a nickel grandmother if she wishes to play she will reply shoot boy and you should then select some spot suitable for the game and assist her if she wishes your aid to kneel on the ground it might be an added mark of gentility to offer her your handkerchief or coat upon which to rest her knees you should then take out the dice and shoot your grandmother will look at your throws and say oh boy he fives he fives a three and a two never make a five come on you baby seven you should then take up the dice again and shake them in your right hand while your grandmother chants a four and a three a four and a two dicey dice and an old black joe come on you seven you should then again shoot this time as you have thrown a six and a one your grandmother will then exclaim he's sevens the boy sevens come on to grandmother dice talk nice to the old lady phoebe for grandma dice for grandpa needs a new pair of shoes shoot a dime she will then throw and so the game will go on until the old lady evidences a desire to stop or possibly until either you or she are cleaned out in this latter case however it would be a customary act of courtesy towards an older person for you to offer to shoot your grandmother for her shawl or her side combs thus giving her several more chances to win back the money she has lost 
it should be recommended that young men never make a mistake in going a little out of their way on occasion to make life more pleasant and agreeable for the aged correct behavior on a picnic there often comes a time in the life of the members of society when they grow a little weary of the ceaseless rounds of teas balls and dinners and for such i would not hesitate to recommend a picnic a day spent in the open with the blue sky over one's head is indeed a splendid tonic for jaded nerves but one should not make the mistake of thinking that because he or she is roughing it for a day that he or she can therefore leave behind his or her manners for such is not the case there is a distinct etiquette for picnics and anyone who disregards this fact is apt to find to his or her sorrow that the shoe in this case is decidedly on the other foot a young man for example is often asked by a young lady to accompany her on a family picnic to this invitation he should after some consideration reply either yes or no and if the former he should present himself at the young lady's house promptly on the day set for the affair usually sunday a family picnic generally consists of a buick a father a mother a daughter a small son beef loaf lettuce sandwiches a young man you two blowouts one spare tire and aunt florence the father drives with his small boy beside him in the rear are the mother the daughter aunt florence the thermos bottles the lunch baskets and you as you take your seat you must remember that it is a distinct evidence of bad breeding to show in any way that you are conscious of the fact that the car has been standing for the last hour and forty-four minutes in the hot july sun we're off cries the father pressing his foot on the self-starting pedal thirty minutes later you roll away from the curb and the picnic has begun the intervening time has of course been profitably spent by you in walking to the nearest garage for two new spark plugs it should be your duty as guest to see that the conversation in the rear is not allowed to lag it's a great day you remark as the car speeds along i think it's going to rain replies aunt florence not too fast will says mother mother says the daughter ten minutes later you should again remark my what a wonderful day those clouds are gathering in the west says aunt florence i think we had better put the top up i think this is the wrong road says mother dear i know what i'm doing replies father the secret of good conversation lies in discovering the hobby of the person with whom one is conversing and a good talker always throws out several feelers in order to find out the things in which his partner is most interested you should therefore next say to mother don't you think this is a glorious day for a picnic to which she will reply well i'm sure this is the wrong road hadn't you better ask the husband will answer nothing but aunt florence will murmur i think i felt a drop of rain will if you don't put the top up now we'll all be drenched the husband will then stop the car and you and he will proceed to put up the top in doing this it is customary for the guest to get the second and third fingers of his right hand so severely pinched that he could not use the hand for several days as soon as the top is up and the rain curtains are in place the sun will come out and you can at once get out and put the top down taking care this time to ruin the two fingers of the left hand no good conversationalist confines himself exclusively to one subject 
and when you are once more under way you should remark to the mother i think that motoring is great fun don't you mrs caldwell her answer will be i wish you wouldn't drive so fast you should then smile and say to aunt florence don't you think that motoring is great fun mrs lockwood as she is about to reply the left rear tire will blow out with a loud noise and the car will come to a bumping stop the etiquette of changing a tire is fairly simple as soon as the puncture occurs one should at once remark is there anything i can do this request should be repeated from time to time always taking care however that no one takes it at all seriously the real duty of a young man who is a guest on a motor trip on which a blowout occurs is of course to keep the ladies of the party amused during the delay this can be accomplished by any of the conventional methods such as card tricks hand springs and other feats of athletic agility or making funny jokes about the host who is at work on the tire when the damage has been repaired and the car is once more speeding along leaving behind it mile after mile of dusty road as well as the father's best jack and set of tire tools the small boy will suddenly remark i'm hungry his father will then reply we'll be at a fine place to eat in ten minutes thirty minutes later mother will remark well that looks like a good place for a picnic over there the father will reply no we're coming to a wonderful place just trust me mary twenty minutes later aunt florence will say will i think that grove over there would be fine for our lunch to which the husband will reply we're almost at the place i know about it's ideal for a picnic forty minutes after this father will stop the car and point to a clump of trees there he will say what do you think of that oh we can't eat there will be the answer of mother daughter and aunt florence drive on a bit further i think i know a place three hours and thirty minutes later i e four hours past your normal lunch hour there will be another puncture and as the car stops beside a wheat field it will begin to rain and the daughter will sigh well we might as well eat here the picnic will then be held in the car and nothing really quite carries one back to nature and primeval man as does warm lemonade and a lettuce sandwich in a buick with the top up and side curtains on after lunch it will be time to return home and after you and father have ruined your clothes in repairing the punctures the merry party will proceed on its way the next morning if you have not caught pneumonia you will be able to go to your work greatly refreshed by your day's outing in the lap of old mother nature boxing in american society although many of america's foremost boxers have been persons whom one would not care to know socially yet much fun and pleasure can be had out of the manly art if practiced in a gentlemanly manner boxing parties are generally held in the evening the ballroom of one's home can be pleasantly decorated for the occasion with a square ring roped off in the centre surrounded by seats for the ladies and gentlemen who come as invited guests evening dress is usually worn the contests should be between various members of one's social set who are fond of the sport and can be counted on to remember at all times that they are gentlemen the matches should be arranged in tournament form so that the winner of one bout meets the winner of the next bout etc until all but two have been eliminated the boxer who wins this final contest shall be proclaimed the champion 
Great fun can then be had by announcing that the champion will be permitted to box three rounds with a masked marvel. The identity of this unknown, who is usually Jack Dempsey or some other noted professional pugilist, should be kept carefully secret, so that all the guests are in a glow of mystified excitement when the contest begins, and you can imagine their delight and happy enthusiasm when the masked marvel cleverly knocks the champion for a double loop through the ropes into the lap of some tittering dowager. Refreshments should then be served, and the champion can be carried home in a car or ambulance provided by the thoughtful host. Bridge Whist Bridge Whist, or Bridge, as it is often called by the younger generation, is rapidly replacing whist as the favorite card game of good society, and bridge parties are much on vogue for both afternoon and evening entertainments. In order to become an expert bridge player, one must, of course, spend many months and even years in a study of the game, but any gentleman or lady of average intelligence can, I believe, pick up the fundamentals of bridge in a short while. Let us suppose, for example, that you, as a young man about town, are invited to play bridge on the evening of Friday, November 17th, at the home of a Mrs. Franklin Gregory. Now, although you may have played the game only once or twice in your life, it would never do to admit the fact, for in good society one is supposed to play bridge, just as one is supposed to hate newspaper publicity. And on the evening of Friday, November 17th, you should present yourself in suitable attire at Mrs. Gregory's home. There you will find fifteen or twenty other guests, and after a few minutes of light social banter, a bell will ring, and the players will take their places. At your table will be Mrs. F. Jameson Dollings, your partner, and Mr. and Mrs. Theodore Watts. Mrs. Dollings, September 6, 1880, is considered one of the most expert bridge players in the city, while Mr. Watts has one of the largest retail clothing stores in the central part of the state. Mrs. Watts was one of the Van Cortland girls, the plain one. As you are probably, next to Mr. and Mrs. Watts, the worst bridge player in the room, it should be your duty to make up for this deficiency by keeping the other three players conversationally stimulated, for nothing so enlivens a game of bridge as a young man or woman with a pleasing personality and a gift for small talk. Thus, at the very beginning, after you have finished dealing the cards, you should fill in what seems to you an embarrassing pause by telling one of your cleverest stories, at the conclusion of which Mrs. Dollings will remark, We are waiting for your bid, Mr. S. The etiquette of bidding, as far as you are concerned, should resolve itself into a consistent effort on your part to become dummy for each and every game. The miniature partner, Mrs. Dollings, bids anything, it should be your duty as a gentleman to see that she gets it, no matter what the cost. Thus, on the first hand, you pass. Mr. Watts says, Wait a minute till I get these cards fixed, to which Mrs. Watts replies, Theodore, for heaven's sakes, how long do you want? Mr. Watts then says, Which is higher, clubs or hearts? To which Mrs. Watts replies, Clubs. Mrs. Dolling then says, I beg your pardon, but hearts have always been considered higher than clubs. Mrs. Watts says, Oh, yes, of course, and gives Mr. Watts a mean look. Mr. Watts then says, I bid, let's see, I bid two spades, no, two diamonds. Mrs. Dolling quickly says, two lilies. 
Mr. Watts says, What's a lily? To which Mrs. Watts replies, Theodore, and then bids two spades, at which Mrs. Dolling says, I beg your pardon, but I have just bid two spades. Mr. Watt then chuckles, and Mrs. Watts says, but not to Mr. Watts, I beg your pardon. Mrs. Watts then bids three spades, at which you quickly say, four spades. This bid is not raised. Mrs. Dolling then says to you, I am counting on your spades to help me out, at which you look at the only spade in your hand, the three, and answer, Ha, ha, ha! There is then a wait of four minutes, at the end of which Mrs. Dollings wearily says, It is your first lead, is it not, Mrs. Watts? Mrs. Watts then blushes, says, Oh, I beg your pardon, and leads the four of hearts. You then lay down your dummy hand. Before Mrs. Dollings has had time to discover just what you have done to her, you should rise quickly and say, Excuse me, but I want to use the telephone a minute. You should then go into the next room and wait ten or fifteen minutes. When you return, Mrs. Dollings will have disappeared. Mrs. Watts will be looking fixedly at Mr. Watts, and Mr. Watts will be saying, Well, it's a silly game anyway. You and Mr. and Mrs. Watts can then have a nice game of 25-cent limit stud poker for the rest of the evening, and it would certainly be considered a thoughtful and gracious gesture if, during the next two or three weeks, you should call occasionally at the hospital to see how Mrs. Dollings is getting on, or you might even send some flowers or a nice potted plant. Formal and Informal Drinking Drinking has, of course, always been a popular sport among the members of the better classes of society, but never has the enthusiasm for this pastime been so great in America as since the advent of Prohibition. Gentlemen and ladies who never before cared much for drinking have now given up almost all other amusements in favor of this fascinating sport. Young men and debutantes have become, in the last few years, fully as expert in the game as their parents. In many cities, drinking has become more popular than bridge or dancing, and it is predicted that, with a few more years of prohibition, drinking will supersede golf and baseball as the great American pastime. The effect of this has been to change radically many of the fundamental rules of the sport, and the influence on the etiquette of the game has been no less marked. What was considered good form in this pastime among our forefathers now decidedly demode, and the correct drinker of 1910 is as obsolete and out of date in the present decade as the frock coat. The game today is divided into A. Formal and B. Informal drinking. Formal drinking is usually played after dinner, and is more and more coming to take the place of charades, sleight-of-hand performances, magic lantern shows, dumb crambo, etc., as the parlor amusement par excellence. Formal drinking can be played by from 1 to 15 people in a house of ordinary dimensions. For a larger number, it is generally better to provide a garage, a large yard, and special police, fire, and plate glass insurance. The game is played with glasses, ice, and a dozen bottles of either whiskey or gin. The sport is begun by the host's wife, who says, How would you all like to play a little bridge? This is followed by silence. Another wife then says, I think it would be awfully nice to play a little bridge. One of the men players then steps forward and says, I think it would be awfully nice to have a little drink. 
an it is then selected always by courtesy the host the it then says how would you all like to have a little drink the men players then answer in the affirmative and the it's wife says now henry dear please remember what happened last time the it replies yes dear and goes into the cellar while the it's wife after providing each guest with a glass puts away the dresden china clock the porcelain parrot and the goldfish globe sides are chosen usually with the husbands on one team and the wives on the other the purpose of the game is for the husband's team to try to drink up all the it's liquor before the wives team can get them to go home when the it returns with the liquor he pours out a portion for each player and at a given signal all drink steadily for several minutes the it's wife then says now how about a few rubbers of bridge she is immediately elected team captain for the rest of the evening it is the duty of the team captain to provide cracked ice and water to get ready the two spare bedrooms to hold wally spencer's hand to keep eddie armstrong from putting his lighted cigarette ends on the piano and to break up the party as soon as possible the game generally ends when one the liquor is all gone two the it or three guests have passed out three wally spencer starts telling about his war experiences informal drinking needs of course no such elaborate preparations and can be played anywhere and any time there is anything to drink the person who is caught with the liquor is it and the object of the game is to take all the liquor away from the it as soon as possible in order to avoid being it many players sometimes resort to various low subterfuges such as sneaking down alone to the club locker room during a dance but this practice is generally looked upon with great disfavor especially by that increasingly large group of citizens who are unselfishly devoting their lives to the cause of a dry america by consuming all of the present rapidly diminishing visible supply a jolly halloween party the problem of providing suitable entertainment for one's informal parties is something which has perplexed many a host and hostess in recent years how often has it happened that just when you have gotten your guests nicely seated around the parlor listening to the caruso record some ill-mannered fellow would remark oh lord let's go over to the tom phillips and get something to drink how many times in the past have you prepared original little get-together games such as carol kennicott did in main street only to find that when you again turned the lights on half the company had disappeared for the evening of course we cannot all be as startlingly clever as carol but halloween which comes this year on october thirty first offers a splendid opportunity for originality and peppy fun the following suggestions are presented to the ambitious hostesses with the absolute guarantee that no matter what other reactions her guests may have they will certainly not be bored invitations the whole spirit of halloween is of course one of spooky gaiety and light-hearted ghastliness witches and ghosts run riot corpses dance and black cats howl more work for the undertaker should be the leitmotif of the evening's fun the more bun spirit can be delightfully observed first of all in the preparation of the invitations i know of one hostess for instance who gained a great reputation for originality by enclosing a dead fish with each bidding to the evening's gaieties 
it is of course not at all necessary to follow her example to the letter the enclosure of anything dead will suffice providing of course that it is not too dead there is such a thing as carrying a joke beyond the limits of propriety and the canons of good taste should always be respectfully observed another amusing way of preparing invitations is to cut out colored paper in the shapes of cats witches etc upon which appropriate verses are inscribed such as next monday night is halloween you big stiff or on monday next comes all hallows even my grandmother's maiden name was stevens or on halloween you may see a witch if you don't look out you funny fellow or harry and i are giving a halloween party harry says you owe him four dollars please be prompt or monday night the ghosts do dance why didn't you enlist and go to france you slacker another novel invitation is made by cutting a piece of yellow paper thirteen inches long and four inches wide and writing on each inch one of the lines given below then begin at the bottom and fold the paper up inch by inch fasten the last turn down with a spooky gummed sticker and slip into a small envelope when the recipient unfolds the invitation he will be surprised to read the following now what on earth do you suppose is in this little folder keep turning ha 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 further ha 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 further ha 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 further ha 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 further it would perhaps be best to telephone the next day to those guests whom you really want and give them further details as to the date and time of the party additional fun can be gotten out of this invitation by failing to put postage stamps on the envelopes when you mail them the two cents which each guest will have to pay for postage due can be returned in a novel manner on the night of the party by inserting them in sandwiches or stuffed tomatoes for those who may wish to send out more elaborate invitations the following distinctly original plan is suggested procure a number of small alarm clocks and a quantity of nitroglycerin or other high explosive insert in each clock a small amount of the nitroglycerin being careful not to put too much a quantity sufficient to wreck a room twenty by thirty will generally suffice then arrange the alarm mechanism so that the explosion will occur at twelve midnight attach to the clock a card neatly decorated with witches goblins etc on which is written midnight is the mystic hour of yawning graves and coffins dower beneath your bed this clock please hide and when it strikes you'll be surprised these clocks should then be delivered in the afternoon to those of the guests whom you are merely inviting because they are your husband's business associates or because they were nice to your mother when she did her own work later on in order to avoid hard feelings on the part of the relatives and friends of the deceased it might be well to explain to them that you sent the clocks only in the spirit of halloween fun it might even help to invite them to one of your next parties receiving the guests on halloween night great care should be taken in the preparations for receiving the guests in a mystic manner no pain should be spared in the effort to start off the evening with a bang several novel ideas are offered for starting the guests off on the right informal spirit before they arrive it is a good plan to take the street number off your house and fasten it to the porch of your next-door neighbors 
who will of course be at home because they are perfectly impossible people whom no one would invite anywhere extinguish all the lights in your own house your neighbor as he comes downstairs twenty-five or thirty times in the next hour will obligingly tell your bewildered friends specifically where to go when the guest finally learns from the neighborhood policeman which house on the block is really yours he will discover on your door a sign reading if you would be my valentine follow please the bright green line leading from the door is a green cord which the mystified guest proceeds to follow according to directions this cord should guide the way to the coal cellar of your other neighbor who has recently purchased an automatic revolver under the delusion that burglars are operating in the neighborhood as your bewildered guest gropes his way about the cellar it is quite likely that he will be shot at several times and by the time he emerges if he does emerge he will be quite delightfully full of the informal spirit of halloween and ready for anything how to mystify at this point your wife dressed as a witch should unexpectedly rush out at him there is always the delightful possibility that he will pick up a convenient rock and brain her on the spot an event which often adds an unexpected touch of gaiety to the evening's fun if however no such event occurs the guest should be blindfolded and led into the house once inside he is conducted upstairs to the attic where he will find three or four earlier arrivals also blindfolded the hands and feet of these four are then securely tied and they are told that they are to be left there all evening this is really a great joke because they do not of course at the time believe what you say and when you come up to untie them the next morning their shamefaced discomposure is truly laughable the green cord into neighbor's coal cellar joke can be cleverly varied by taking the lid off your cistern and making the green line lead in that direction great care should be taken however to keep an exact account of the number of guests who succumb to this trick for although an unexpected ducking is excruciatingly humorous drowning often results fatally great fun can be added to the evening's entertainment by dressing several of the guests as ghosts witches corpses etc these costumes can be quite simply and economically made in the home or can be procured from some reliable department store an old-fashioned witch's costume consists of a union suit munsine or any other standard brand corset brassiere chemise under petticoat over petticoat long black skirt long black stockings shoes black waist and shawl with a pointed witch's hat and a broomstick the modern witch's costume is much simpler and inexpensive in many details a particularly novel and hair-raising effect may be produced by painting the entire body of one of the male guests with phosphorus as this glowing nude stalks uncannily through the darkened rooms you may easily imagine the ghastly effect especially upon his wife games after the guests have sufficiently amused themselves with the ghosts and witches it will be time to commence some of the many games which are always associated with halloween bobbing for apples is of course the most common of these games and great sport it is too to watch the awkward efforts of the guests as they try to pick up with their teeth the apples floating in a large tub i know of one hostess who added greatly to the evening's fun by pouring twelve quarts of gin into the tub the effect on the bobbers was of course extremely comical except for the unfortunate conduct of two gentlemen 
one of whom went to sleep in the tub, the other so far forgetting himself as playfully to throw all the floating fruit at the hostess's pet Pomeranian. Most Halloween games concern themselves with delving into the future, in the hopes that one may there discover one's husband or bride-to-be. In one of these games, the men stand at one end of the room facing the girls with their hands behind their backs and eyes tightly closed. The girls are blindfolded, and one by one they are led to within six feet of the expectant men and given a soft pincushion, which they hurl forward. The tradition is that whichever man the girl hits, him she will marry. Great fun can be added to the game by occasionally substituting a rock or iron dumbbell in place of the romantic pincushion. Another game based on a delightful old Halloween tradition is as follows. A girl is given a lighted candle and told to walk upstairs into the room at the end of the hall where, by looking into a mirror, she will see her future husband. Have it arranged so that you are concealed alone in the room. When the girl arrives, look over her shoulder into the mirror. She had better go downstairs after ten minutes, though, so that another girl can come up. This tradition dates from before William the Conqueror. No Halloween is complete, of course, without fortune-telling. Dress yourself as a wizard, and have the guests let in one by one to hear their fortune told. Hanging in front of you should be a cauldron, from which you extract the slip of paper containing the particular fortune. These slips of paper should be prepared beforehand. The following are suggested. You will meet a well-dressed, good-looking man who understands you better than your husband. How about Thursday at the plaza? You are about to receive a shipment of Scotch whiskey that you ordered last month, and it's about time you kicked across with some of your own. You will have much trouble in your life if you lie about your golf score as you did last Sunday on number 12. Still another pleasing Halloween game, based on the revelation of one's matrimonial future, is played as follows. Seven lighted candles are placed in a row on a table. The men are then blindfolded, whirled around three times, and commanded to blow out the candles. The number extinguished at a blow tells the number of years before they meet their bride. This game only grows interesting, of course, when some old goat with long whiskers can be induced to take a blind shot at blowing out the candles. Have pyrene convenient, but not too convenient to spoil the fun. For the older members of the party, the host should provide various games of cards and dice. In keeping with the ghastly spirit of the occasion, it would be well to have the dice carefully loaded. Many hosts have thus been able to make all expenses and often a handsome profit out of the evening's entertainment. If the crap game goes particularly well, many hosts do not hesitate to provide elaborate refreshments for the guests. Here, too, the spirit of fun and jollity should prevail and great merriment is always provoked by the ludicrous expression of the guest who has broken two teeth on a cast-iron olive. Other delightful surprises should be arranged, and a little Sloane's liniment in the punch or ground glass in the ice cream will go a long way toward making the supper amusing. And finally, when the guests are ready to depart, and just before they discover that you have cut cute little black cats and witches out of the backs of their evening wraps and overcoats, it would perhaps be well to run upstairs and lock yourself securely in your room. End of chapter 7